Combo Nation, we are here. Baby Combo is down here at Combo's Court Studios. Shout out to Baby Combo. Hey, Baby Combo, what's your favorite podcast? Combo's Court Podcast. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 395 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Today's show, Coach Nick of Beat Ball breakdown returns to the show we discuss did LeBron actually decline modern NBA offense modern NBA team building and more intro music by Luca Beats let's get into it Nick, B-Ball Breakdown. What is new, man? Oh, nothing, man. You're going to have to really lead me through some interesting things to talk about today. We're in the middle of August, and uh, I got to tell you, this is probably the most boring offseason we've ever had in the NBA. Free agent signings, trades, like, just nothing really happened. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Obviously, the whole KD bonanza is still happening, but LeBron did sign his extension. What were your initial thoughts? Well, um, I, I feel like, you know, he, he's timing it so that he can play with Bronny, depending on where he goes. And um, he's just trying to leverage uh, as much as he can to, to, to get onto the team that picks him. And, uh, and we talked about this before a few times. You know, if you have the number one pick in that draft in a couple of years and you know that LeBron will sign with you if you pick him, do you do that? Or if you have the number three pick or the four pick, even though he might be a 25th or 26th pick, you know, value wise. Uh, do you do that? I think we both said yes, you would just to simply know you're going to have LeBron play for you for a year. I think in most instances, yeah. I mean, LeBron will be older. And do you take Bronny number one overall? Like, what if they're, and I know they're not in the same draft class, like, what if there's a Wemby type prospect? You're just going to draft Bronny number one? I don't know about that one. All right. All right. Okay. I guess you have to have a caveat there. And if it's, the, but then you get put pressure on the number four or five pick. At some point, it becomes a thing where yeah. you're willing to jump 20 spots to maybe get him. Uh, because at that point, you don't know, you know, picks eight through 20 could be a crapshoot, you know, a lot of the time. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, if it's a business and you're a small, you know, market, then yeah, of course you're going to, you're going to probably just, you know, you're going to sign him, I, I would think. Or you're going to draft Ronnie to get him. I mean, we could use the word tampering here. I don't know if this is tampering, but I'm sure teams would talk to LeBron beforehand, right? And see, like, will you come if we draft Bronny? I mean, there's going to be have to be some of that going on. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like didn't he already say that publicly? He actually said publicly that his last year, LeBron James last year, will be with Bronny. Not necessarily Bronny comes into the league and I'll play. Oh, so when, wait, when you mean with Bronny, you mean like with Bronny in the league, but not necessarily on his team? No, on his team, but LeBron's last year. So that might not coincide with Bronny's first year. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So you, you mean to tell me there might be a, uh, Bronny might play uh, for a, one year, his rookie year for the Magic, and then and then LeBron will come play with him the second year. All right, or, yeah. or Bronny, I, who knows? Maybe Bronny comes to him after two, three years. Who knows how long LeBron's playing for? I know. Well, you know what's interesting is, you know, he only played 56 games. We, I don't, we talked about this on our pod last night, but yeah. Um, 
I, I can't get over that he basically would have led the league in scoring if he had a couple extra games in there at his age and his, his you know, where he is. That just blew my mind. I don't think I realized that for some reason. And a lot of people are using the word decline, and I don't think that's necessarily a fact on the offensive side of the floor, right? I mean, defensively, obviously, there's been some decline, but it's just different. It's not necessarily a decline, right? Well, I mean, the finishing of the rim is a decline without question. I mean, his percentages are really good at the rim. They rival Giannis's. Are they? Uh, you know what? Okay, I, I'll have to. I need to look at that. Um, now it might not look as spectacular, and it, it definitely doesn't as 2010, especially the way he got up and down the court. But just in terms of impact and huh. some of the things he improved upon, right? Things are just I mean, different. I'll, I could just see there was so much evidence of him like going to the basket and being bothered by defenders, ball getting knocked out of his hands, him missing shots he would never miss in a hundred thousand years. Um, so th that's like the anecdotal evidence I'm looking at in terms of when you can see it or not. But I suppose you're right. Like if it's if it's the percentages are not bearing that out, then um, then the decline is is it you know there's obviously an athletic decline. He is not as yes. explosive and, and powerful as he used to be. So that's real. That's a thing. That's you can't really dispute that. But he's figured out other ways, obviously, to then you know make that happen. I mean, he took eight threes a game, was league average at him, which is you know terrific for him. Um, so he's he's already adjusted that part of the game. And you know we we've seen that guys like at this age and beyond tend to shoot even better as they get you know farther along in their career. So he might push up closer to thirty eight percent this year, which would really help. Uh, I, I would probably imagine he's going to take he might take ten threes a game this year. Yeah, and he got a lot better. You know, that transition from the live dribble I always talk about is so important to the jump shot. The league's best players have it, like Kevin Durant and many other players. And he just got so much better at that part of the game, even though his athleticism has declined. Uh, yeah, yeah, he has. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, um, overall, there's probably still a, a huge adjustment for a lot of players in the league to play alongside him. Um, for some, uh, like Russ is a good example of that. Other guys could come in there and and, and compliment him very well because the game's already suited for him. So uh, that's still a thing. But um, yeah, there's no question the guy is you know is, is as uh, impactful on the game now as he's been you know for years and years. And I just, just that blows my mind. I probably should do a video on that somehow to kind of really pull that apart a little bit more. Um, I'm doing a video series right now uh, on on what sets teams are running to get their stars open, so they're not running ISOs all the time. And yeah, um, I'll, I'm gonna, important. you know, I didn't put LeBron in the first wave because he didn't qualify at the top scores by points per game, but uh, you know, and neither did Steph. But I'm gonna put Steph and LeBron in there, obviously, because that's going to be a lot of interest. With the success of the Warriors, obviously, you know, it's a copycat league, and a lot of the teams are shooting more threes. But do you also think you're starting to see the impact of? Teams with less heliocentric type offense, more decentralized, more decentralized type offense. Is that the way things are changing for other teams as well? I don't know. I mean, what we still see plenty of the heliocentric stuff. So, you know, uh, with like Luca and Trey and even Trey, they got DeJounte in there, which this, so that might change a little bit, right? Uh, I, I can't wait to see. I would maybe, I would imagine. Yeah. I'd love to see Trey getting off the ball a lot more. You know, you got Embiid. Um, I got some crap for saying Embiid, or maybe I got crap for saying Embiid. Is it? I think it's Embiid. What is it? Do you know? I'm not a great uh like names guy. I mean, I well, probably well Embiid. Who, 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 I mean, I've probably been messing up Giannis Giannis for years now. So oh, that's too bad. I I, I pride myself on nailing those names properly. Uh, they had yeah. Iguala talking about Draymond, and so I started to panic, thinking, "Oh my God, have I been mispronouncing?" Draymond's name wrong, but I think that 
that was just how Andre likes to pronounce it. I think I think Draymond will say that the the accents in the second part of the, the name. Uh, but you know, either way, I, I'm always like you know, I, I can remember when um, uh, who's the Turkish guy in the Bulls and the Rockets? Um, Ashik. Mer- oh, Ashik. Yeah. yeah, everybody wanted to call him Asik, and I was like, no, 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 it's Ashik because I had all these Turkish fans on my YouTube channel yelling at me in the comments, maybe the first time. So, you know, I pride myself on trying to nail that perfectly. And, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I hate it when there's, there's ambivalence. I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure we're on the right track. So in that era, like we're in the three-point generation right now, how have you seen offenses change from the beginning of that era till now? Um, wait, from which era are we talking about? Like right when Steph started going crazy with threes and then other teams started yeah. copying it and shooting a lot of threes from that time till now what have you seen when it comes to offense and how has it changed okay uh that's a good question i think um you know in 2013 2014 i think we we still had a lot of post-ups i feel like mm. to some degree and there was some, some still some of that uh we didn't have even the sp- spacing that we have now i feel like that's probably the biggest you know d- d- change is that you know, teams just got, you know, better across the board at really just getting your wings farther out than they normally would be, like closer to the hash mark to begin. Um, you know, everyone was in the corners and that was fine. You know, you knew where to be in the corners. Um, dunker spot, probably less positioning there where you're sort of standing on the weak side about 12 feet from the hoop or 14 feet from the hoop. A little less of that. Um, and then, you know, there has been there has been more movement and certainly like, you know, pistol has taken over. So every team now runs some version of a handoff into ball screen or a pin down into handoff, um, which is just a, a throwback to the triangle and Princeton offense days. Um, just sort of merging the shooting ability we have now and the dribbling ability with that stuff. Um, you know, I, I kind of hope that the Warriors have been influencing people a little bit more in terms of the penetration, of the defense using a pass to the post. Is, is easier than having to do a multi-dribble move to like break a man down and get into the lane and cause penetration. So um, that hopefully is something that teams are still realizing it's an easier way to do. And once you get the ball down there, then all the good threes come from that. And so um, that's one thing that I still haven't seen completely take hold enough. Uh, but we do see teams imitating the Warriors on their low post split stuff a little bit. Um, I am surprised that that it hasn't completely taken over. That's the one weird thing after seeing how well that works and seeing how you don't need a, a very skilled player down low in the post, just someone who can kind of pass it back out on an easy pass. That's all you really need for there. Um, it's surprising we haven't seen more of that. But anyway, to answer your question you know, a little bit more succinctly, um, there is a little bit more ball movement. There's, there's a little bit more on the weak side movement, um, a lot more handoffs than we used to ever see, which is, again, a throwback. Um, and, uh, you know, as a result, the, the scoring continues to go up. You mentioned post-ups. I actually – I never get too much of a chance to go watch the old games like I did this weekend. I'm like, you know, YouTube, as you know, you're big time on YouTube. Like, you have so many old games you could go watch on there if you really wanted to. Obviously, we're so um, – we're so set on the day-to-day talking about the com, uh, the modern NBA. But watching the Celtics, I, I want to go back to that game where um, Jordan had 63 on them in the playoffs. Remember that year he hurt his foot and then came back? Yep. The way they played was so different. And I know, obviously, this, this has been talked about before. But Parrish, Bird, and McHale were just like playing ping pong down there in the post. Like up, 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 layup. Oh, Bill Walton, too. Pound, layup. And Kevin McHale was so skilled in there. It was crazy. They didn't really run a lot of offense. I remember going back through that years ago to like start diagramming stuff. It was like 
the most they would do is set a pin down for Bird, and he would do a two-man game with Parrish, or he'd do a two-man game with McHale, or then he would pass it to Ainge, who would do, like just sort of spot up and shoot it. You know, maybe they'd set a pick and roll, uh, you know, a third of the time, you know, off of a revert or something, or like right away. Um, I, I, they were that good, I think is the point. They were that good offensively that you didn't have to sort of run a lot of pattern stuff with them because they just could generate shots. And you have to, all you have to do is hope, you, you know, put a hand up and hope they miss. Um, so that was a little startling to me. I'm both in Lakers, Celtics, those rivalries in the 80s was, was one of those things where it just felt like I was going to see a lot. But with the Lakers, for all the Showtime stuff, they just posted up a ton as well. You know, it wasn't Kareem. It was Worthy. If it wasn't Worthy and Magic and it wasn't, you know, they just run guys through the post. It was interesting. So um, when they weren't just sprinting on the court as fast as they can getting layups. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting era. And, and again, there is that value of getting the ball really close to the basket. And we talked about this before when they first started doing the analytics in 03, 04, um, you know, and they were and they were charting the post ups. They were not including if you did a post up move and missed, but then got the rebound and put it right back in. They, that was a separate um, action. And so the post up ended up looking like it wasn't as efficient as it really was because you really need to include those putbacks. And if you did do that, somebody I know, we had a guy on the show years ago, I'm forgetting who it was from, I think Europe had done this. He had charted, he went through like a whole playoff series. He was able to get all the games from, you know, some, I think it was a 90s or maybe it was a late 80s uh, series. A, not a bad sample size. And he realized that when you added the putbacks from those uh, post-ups, it becomes a 1.2 points per possession, which is the most efficient uh, possession you could have from a post-up. We mentioned Larry Bird. Do you think there was a misconception about him being slow? He didn't seem too slow to me when I was watching him play. I mean, not when he was not injured. When he was healthy, he was yeah. He was yeah. he was explosive. I mean, you, there's there's those some of those reverse dunks he had uh, were sneaky good. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so he really um, he really was a, a good athlete, and he certainly just had um, you know um, the, the the what's it called the um, you know hand eye coordination and then the reflexes and those things. I, I think the other thing that was made him you know uh, that, that even if he didn't have the most athletic body at all, of, of all, what kept him ahead of the game was that he just kept his head up the whole time. So yeah. he might have even felt like it was that impressive. He just, you know, we always train kids, you know, keep your eyes up, keep your head up. And um, because he could do that, he could see everything. He never had to look down where the ball was. And so he was always ahead. Like when I compare him and, and LeBron's passing, like LeBron's passing is on time. Larry's passing was ahead, was like a half a, a quarter of a second ahead of the play. Throws you to the bucket. As the guy's getting there. That was the difference, which you, if you have to split hairs, is a difference. And that made him, like in my mind, a better passer. But um, all those plays he made were just because he could see the floor so well um, and then react accordingly. He, he, was, he was amazing. What gave him such an advantage around the rim was his ability to be ambidextrous. Like, he could use either hand equally. Oh, yeah. And again, that wasn't surprising. Like everybody was supposed to do that when you were growing up back then. You know, I had an awesome uh, running lefty hook across the lane. Yeah. Uh, it was unstoppable. And like my sophomore coach, like forced me to stop doing it. Uh, Why? I, I thought he, he must have looked at it and thought it was like some wild shot, whatever. But I could nail that. And, you know, I, I'm so frustrated oh, going across the middle. I was good at it. But it was, I was even better at driving to my left and then taking off kind of near the block and like as i'm drifting towards the baseline banking that one in as a, like a runner but a lefty runner um i i and i stopped and i listened to the guy and he was a ba well you know why he was a baseball coach 
Mm. And they threw him in there as, a, as our coach for that sophomore year because the guy who didn't have another coach in high school. And uh, it was a nightmare. He was subbing five guys in at a time on the, at the quarters and um, and just didn't, didn't really know what he was doing. And so uh, that was a lost year. That And that was frustrating because there was some uh, – that was when I first started shooting threes. And a, a better coach probably would have had me started to practice maybe shooting off the dribble from three, even though that was radical then. Yeah, that was – yeah. Uh, that's you know, like a that's like a new thing, like pretty much. Yeah, although I found some guys in the, in the 80s that were allowed to do it. Uh, some coaches out there had figured it out a little bit and were able to, um, Michael, Michael Adams. I remember with that weird jump shot uh, Adams. Yeah. That was a weird, uh, <laughs> yeah. there was a guy, uh, well there, I had a guy in my show and I have a friend of a friend of mine, Teddy Dupay, who played at Florida. Oh yeah. Great shooter. And that might've been like the early nineties, but that was still enough where I was like, Whoa, or like mid nineties, but that was still like, he was you know doing that way back then and he told me his high school coach allowed that to happen so it was happening a little bit here and there but um yeah just kind of frustrating that it wasn't worked on how have you seen team building change in the modern era because like we talked well actually we haven't talked about Jokic yet but when they were looking for a player I'm sure they weren't looking for a position to fill they just felt like Bruce Brown mixes well with our best players right I think that's the way team building is going and we're going further and further away from positions maybe, but then we see, you know, misguided, you know, personnel decisions like Russell Westbrook that doesn't fit. And then you still wonder, it's a little different because he's on a, a hierarchy of like, you know, superstar. But, uh, you know, I, I worry that we're, they're, they're still not paying enough attention to chemistry, A, and like how those things all fit together. Um, and just figuring, well, it'll just work. We'll just, we'll just shove all these uh, squares into a round hole and it's got to work. But, um, but, you know, I do feel like even though skill-wise things are exploding and guys have more and more skills, we also do have this sort of specialization in this at the same time. Um, you know, and I do feel like uh, there's a lot of coaches at every level that would prefer to simply say, this is what you can do. This is all. This is the only thing you're allowed to do versus, okay, well, there's a deficit here skill-wise. We're going to work over the next four, four weeks and you're going to get better at it and you're going to be able to do it in the games. Like, I don't understand why that's not – even more prevalent. I think there's a lot of coaches who just don't think they know how to teach shooting. And so as a result, those, those players don't get better. And then they, they're limited and they're limited by the coach in what they can do. And that's too bad because the coach's job should be to help the kid players get better. And if you yeah. want buy-in, there's no better way to get the buy-in for the players than showing rolling up your sleeves and actually helping them with skill development that actually works. That's the other thing is if you're going to teach shooting poorly, they're not going to get better. They're going to get frustrated. You're not going to get results. Um, and you're not going to get that trust and that level of buy-in primarily because you're not teaching shooting properly. So, you know, that that's that was always the most fun for me was, was you know, the practice part of it when I could show them something that they hadn't seen before. That was exciting to me. Uh, and then to see it work uh, was even better. So, um you know, I, I feel like we're, we're getting there and I feel like every year the coaching uh, evolves and more and more uh, younger coaches are coming into this with a different mindset. It was funny. I was talking, I was coaching a game on Saturday and I was talking to a guy who's, who'd been a ref for a long, long time. And I was like, my first thing I said to him, like, I'm worried we're not going to have refs. You know, I, I, I mean, I think we're going to have a big shortage of refs for any kind of youth stuff because of the way they're treated by the parents. It's really, you know, how many of these videos we have to see here, of these refs just being you know, and just even the complaining um, is so misplaced uh, considering the, the, the sacrifice that these guys are doing for nothing, for very little money. Um, and so I'm worried about that because that that would be the, the destruction of the of these leagues. Right. I don't know how you're going to be able to develop these players without refs. And if they don't and the umpires and if they don't want to do it, then then uh, it's going to be a problem.
Well said. What do you want to talk about in the live show today? Or should we save that for after the podcast? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. The live show, um, you know, we got to talk about something in the NBA. Uh, I, actually, I was kind of thinking about that. I went to the NBA, the ESPN oh, homepage. Maybe I'll get some coffee before we get started. And All right. You can, you can send that link over. Thank you so much for joining in on Combo's Court. It's been a while. Yeah. And anytime, Combo. I uh, love to be here. All right. Talk soon. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Coach Nick for joining in. Don't forget to rate, review, share this episode, share with a friend, share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Go subscribe to the Beatball Breakdown YouTube channel as well. If you would like to support Combo's Court, check out the Combo's Court Patreon link. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Be on the lookout for episode 396. Combo, out.